next fall, considered constantly the state of his land, his property, his buildings, his animal. And mostly he thought of the weather that week, the temperature, and existence of or potential for rainfall, recent calamities and how he was responding to them, the position of the season, his position in the rigid scaffolding of chores, what he would have to do that day, that afternoon and evening, how he would prepare for the next morning's work, when were the men coming, and would he be ready for them? But he would be ready for them. He always was. He was nothing if not prepared. He considered those times in life when he had uttered words to a person, Caroline Middy, or Clee, or his mother, or a stranger who had long forgotten him. He wished he had never uttered, or had uttered differently or he thought of the times he remained silent when he should have spoken as little as a single word. He tried to recollect every word he had ever spoken to his sister, tried to detect his own meanness or thoughtlessness, his own insensitivity to certain inflections she might have employed. How long ago it was now. At times he fretted about forgetting her, though in fact he did not like to admit this. He had already forgotten much. Now, at his back, the shrouded bushels of apples and apricots rustled in the wagon bed, the wagon creaking forward beneath the weight, the old, old familiar rhythm in accordance with these leagues of thought, dazzled and suspended by the sun. The mountains, cold at his back. It was June. The road was already dusty, his frame slightly hunkered down, the floppy calfskin hat shielding his brow, under which was a scowl holding no animosity. The large hands, swollen knuckles, loosely holding the reins. From the wheat fields he entered the town and drew down the main street. Quiet. It was Sunday. The nearer church, he thought, the Methodist was on the other side of town, had yet to release its congregation. He hitched up outside the feed and supply store, watered the mule. While he was setting up the fruit stand, tugging forward each burlap-covered bushel in the back of the wagon and unveiling them and unloading them, a woman rounded the corner and gained the platform, approached him. Half her face was mottled and pink, as if burned, her mouth an angry pucker. She held defensively to her breast a burlap sack and bent and inspected the up-tilted bushel of Arkansas blacks. She reached for an apple, but did not touch it, glanced dubiously at a bushel of paler apples he presently uncovered. What are those? He glanced down. Greenings, Rhode Island greenings. When he spoke, his voice was low and sounded unused. He cleared his throat. The woman waited, considered the apples. All right, I'll take a few of those. From the folds of her skirt, she brought out a dull green change purse. How much? He told her. She pinched out the correct change and handed it to him. As he filled the sack with fruit, the woman turned and gazed behind her, said, Look what the cat drug in. Those two looking over here like that. You aren't careful, they'll come rob you. 
hooligan-looking, she sniffed. After a moment, he looked where she nodded. Down the street, under the awning of the hardware store, two girls, raggedy, smudge-faced, stood conspiratorially half-turned toward each other. When they saw Talmadge and the woman observing them, they turned their backs to them. He handed the burlap sack to the woman, the bottom heavy and misshapen with fruit. The woman hesitated, still looking at the girls, then turned and nodded shortly to him, stepped off the platform, moved down the street. From the wagon he retrieved his wooden folding chair and sat down next to the bushels. Wind gusted and threw sand onto the platform, and then it was quiet. Rain was coming, maybe that evening or early the next day. The girls moved, stood now with their shoulders...